couple of verses out of Psalm 27. Then I'm going to go off somewhere else. Then I'm going to come back to Psalm 27. So that's where we're going. Okay? This psalm is such a favorite for so many of us in the room tonight. When Psalm 27 was announced there, Nigel at the back said, yes, this is my favorite. And this is the favorite of so many of us because we have met God in the words of this psalm. We have met him. It is a meeting place with God, the scripture. It is not an ordinary book. It is God in print. It is we meet him. And when I looked in my Bible as to when I first underlined one of the promises from Psalm 27, it was 5th of October, 1992. It said, Mission at York. And I'd underlined verse 4, one thing I ask, one thing I seek. I'd been a Christian just over a year, and somebody read that verse out at this big mission in a big center in York where I was doing my PGCE. And I thought, yes, God, I give my life for that one thing. And I remember it, and I underlined it in my Bible, and I said, that is what I want written over my life. The one thing is learning how to dwell in the presence of God and to live from there. Different verses have been underlined over the years, 94, 96, 98. I can see the journey um, from one Bible to another. My first Bible fell apart, then I moved to my second one. And through that, there are promises in this scripture that have been meeting places for me on my journey, on my journey with God. And every one of us here, if you've been a Christian for two weeks, 10 days, however long it is, 50 years, you have your personal history with God and that's what brings him delight. Everybody's journey is different. Every personal promise that he gives to you will be different to the next one, but it's from God and it's your journey with him. That's why it's so precious. And the fact that this psalm means so much to so many says to me that God has met us there. We have dwelled with God in these truths, and we have not been the same since. And David found his dwelling place in God, his inner dwelling place. And in this psalm, he refers to uh, really just examples of his life as a commander and as a king that he used to express what dwelling in God meant to him. I'm going to look at three verses just picking out some aspects of God dwelling with David and what that meant to him. I'm going to look at verse 1. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? In this, David is talking about a stronghold. As a military man, he knew what a military stronghold was. It was a safe place he could run to, he could take his men to, he could flee there quickly, and he knew it was fortified, it was strong. He found safety there, he found protection there, he took his armies there with him. And he is saying, living and dwelling with God, I find the same experience with him. I dwell with him and it is like I am in that stronghold. I am totally safe. I am totally protected. I can go there quickly. And he found him in his heart. And he's saying that picture of a physical stronghold is what God means to me in my heart. 
And he is saying that he, he was a man after God's own heart. We know that. In 1 Samuel it says David was anointed. He was a man after God's own heart. So his heart found a dwelling place in God and it looked like a physical stronghold to him. He strengthened himself in his heart with the Lord. Just as when he took his men into a physical stronghold where they would gather themselves and regroup, he found the same thing in his heart with God. The stronghold. Verse 4, he says, One thing I ask of the Lord, this is what I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to seek him in his temple. Now this, such a deep longing, it's in there, isn't it? I'm One thing, dwelling in the presence of God, is that one thing for David's heart. And he says, I would love to seek him in his temple. Now this is so amazing because the temple wasn't built. The temple was not built when David wrote this. God gave David the exact description of what the temple would be like, but he said to David, you can't build it because you are a man of war. Your son is a man of peace. He can build the temple. So David had such a longing for himself to experience a place where he could go and he could meet with God and he could dwell in the outer courts of God and he could... Um, just be in that physical place of presence but he couldn't actually ever live in it because the temple wasn't built so did God answer his cry when he said one thing I ask is to seek you in his temple and the Lord said okay this is the kind of temple I'd like you to build for me but you won't be able to build it. Your son will. If you read it in 1 Chronicles 28, the detail, David just loved all the representation of what a physical building to house God would mean. Even though he wouldn't ever see it himself, he saw it in here, and he saw it in here, and it was built after him. But you see, that verse expresses his deep longing He knew God had such beauty of character and nature. He knew that if he could dwell in his presence, he would find a strength and a joy and just a really deep affirmation. And I think that's quite amazing that he wanted to gaze on the temple, but God in the temple, but the temple wasn't actually built yet. Verse 5 and 6, another description. For in the day of trouble, he'll keep me safe in his dwelling. He will hide me in his tabernacle and he'll set me high upon a rock and my head will be exalted above all the enemies that surround me this is so interesting because he is trying to express and give us a picture of what happened in his inner man when he was in trouble he says God will hide me in his tabernacle now as an army commander he knew that the king had a tent He had a tent that when the armies were all camped, the king would have his own individual tent where he rested, where he ate, where he made battle plans. And around the outside of the tent, 24 hours a day, if the king was in the tent, were the mighty men, the strongest men. Because if anyone dared attack the king's tabernacle, the king's tent, they just would never get through, ever. And here... David is saying, God doesn't hide me furtively away on my own in a little room and then pulls me out when the trouble's over. 
No, he says God invites me into the king's tent. He hosts me in his tent in the day of trouble. He plans with me in the day of trouble. He feeds me in the day of trouble in the center of all the other tents. That, to me, is the most amazing truth about what God does in a day of trouble. He doesn't hide you away in a cupboard and says, when it's over, out you come. He says, I'm going to hide you in my tent, right in the middle, and surrounded by every strength of army. I'm going to host you in your day of trouble. I'm going to feed you. I'm going to help you plan the way forward. I'm going to sit with you. David uses that imagery of when he as an army commander and had experienced that. And he's giving that as a picture for us. And he then says that he is set high upon a rock. High upon a rock. After he's been hidden in the tabernacle, he's been hosted by God in the tent of the king. He's been fed. He's been strengthened. He's been fully protected. He then describes that as being set high on a rock, exalted above the enemies that surround him. This is such a great kingdom principle. He is within sight of the enemy, but out of reach. He was within sight, but he was out of reach because he was high upon a rock, up high. The enemy could see him but couldn't touch him. And that came because he'd spent time in his day of trouble being hosted by the king in the king's pavilion, in the king's tent, in the king's tabernacle. So he's got these wonderful images in this psalm. And he says that dwelling with God is like a stronghold you can flee to. Dwelling in God's presence is the one focus. And that God hosts us and hides us in a day of trouble and that he positions us within sight of the enemy but out of reach of the enemy now those are amazing truths from this wonderful man who wrote them down all those years ago and so many of us have lived by and enjoyed them and David was part of the old covenant with God he was not he was not as we are we are in the new covenant with God So David has his time, David lives on the earth, he writes this, he receives how to build a temple, he passes that to his son, his son builds the temple. God is still working, God is still speaking with his people. And the prophets come, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, and God speaks in his intention about dwelling with God. And he speaks in, in this amazing prophecy, in um, Ezekiel 36, where he says to the people of God, and he prophesied out, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I'll remove from you your heart of stone and I'll give you a heart of flesh and I'll put my spirit in you and I'll move you to follow my decrees. That must have been absolutely unbelievable, the idea that God would put his spirit into human beings and through that would guide them and their hearts would be sensitive and responsive to him. That prophecy will have absolutely shocked the people of God in that time. However, history moves on. God sends Jesus. The Messiah comes. He lives. He's baptized. He's anointed 
filled with the Holy Spirit, and he says to his disciples, I'm going to ask the Father, and he'll send his Spirit, and his Spirit will be in you. The echo of Ezekiel, the echo of David, you can see it coming through. God wanting to dwell with mankind, and here's Jesus saying, it is possible. And now we come to tonight's principle of abiding. When I asked the Lord back, I think it was about the 2nd of February, when they said, speak on abiding, I asked him the usual question. On the 17th of March, what would you like to say to us as family in St. Matt's? And I felt he said that he wanted to affirm in us that he abides in us. That he abides in us. Now, abiding is a two-way thing. You cannot abide with yourself, and you cannot abide on your own. Last night, I said to my husband, I said, do you remember 20 years ago on the Thursday night before we got married? And he said, well, uh, I remember, I remember that, yeah, well, he didn't remember much, but I, I said, love, do you not remember? You, we were both teachers, and we'd finished, we'd finished the day at school, and... Um, he had come over that evening and we'd had something to eat and we had a Christmas wedding and on the orders of service were hand-drawn and coloured holly, little holly leaves by my good self and I hadn't finished so I said to Gordon, I, I remember this, will you help me do some of these holly leaves? So we did a couple and finished off all these orders of service. He went off and I sat on the stairs, we had like, the stairs and there's a door because I was living in the house and Gordon was off, he was uh, lodging with somebody else another family from the church. And as he went off, I thought, we'll never, ever have to do this again. Because from Saturday onwards, we're going to abide together. I don't think I used that word. Live in the same house together. And when we got married, we did that service. 19th of December, 1998. Bill and Carol, also married about the same time, on the same day, we discovered that this year. We both celebrated 20 years of marriage. But in that moment of the marriage service, You say your vows, you're given a spirit of unity between you, and you preserve that spirit of unity with the bond of peace for the rest of your days together. You preserve it. You keep that bond of peace between you. In our house, when Gordon goes off first in the morning, I just make sure that we part in peace. We always part in peace. Anna goes off next. Beth goes off next. But we part in peace. And then we come back together and we just, you know, connect with each one. I connect with Beth first and then how she got on. Then Anna, a cup of tea with her. Then Gordon, a cup of tea with him. And then we're all abiding in peace together. Now, Gordon and I, obviously, we have not dwelt in each other's presence 24 hours a day for the last 20 years. You know, you go to work, there are things that happen. But that is a covenant. We were given a spirit of unity when we made that covenant before God. And it's the closest example we've got of our covenant with God through Jesus. If we're Christians in here, we have a covenant with God through the blood of Jesus, and we have unity with him, and we have, as a result of all our sin and grot going on to Jesus on that cross, every demonic power, every sickness, every sin ever committed by anyone in the history of time went on him, and he became sin for us, And we became the righteousness of God. We gave him this old nature. And he gave us a new nature deep within us. We are not as we once were. And as Jesus said, you are born 
again, this whole new life begins to grow from within. This whole new life begins to grow. And it is our life with God. And Jesus said two things about the Holy Spirit. He said that um, to the woman at the well, he said in John 4, whoever drinks this water from the well will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks the water I give them, picture of the Spirit of God, they'll never never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become within them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. That is the personal well of salvation. It's that life God has put his Spirit in us, and it will Forever and ever and ever throughout eternity, we will never be separated from him. It is impossible. It says in Romans 8:28, nothing can separate you from the love of God. Nothing at all. Nothing. Why? Because he's in you. The spirit is in you. It's this bobbling up well for eternal life. It's the relationship that will last for all eternity. Our bodies are going to die, whatever, but the relationship, the oneness, the inseparability with God, that's never, ever, 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 ever going to be broken. It can't be. We have been born again and we've got this new life of God in us, the Spirit of God. And that's the Holy Spirit. He's in us for our sake, for our salvation. But Jesus said, the Holy Spirit, he also said, whoever believes in me, John 7, whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, streams of living water will flow from within them. By this he meant the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were later to receive. Up to that time, the Spirit had not been given since Jesus hadn't been glorified. So the Holy Spirit had not been poured out. I mean, I'm not seriously an Anglican person, but I really like that, they celebrate the ascension the ascension of Jesus Christ when he went to heaven and then the Holy Spirit was poured out is mighty powerful that changed the shape of the world because no longer was the Holy Spirit confined but he would be released within every believer and he would come upon every believer I remember when I was first in Bath and over at All Saints, and I was so excited about Ascension Day services coming up. It was a weekday or something. And I was saying, are you going? Are you going? And people were going, what? What?" I said, it's Ascension Day. I said, we are celebrating that Jesus, because he ascended, the Spirit's poured out. It's mega, I tell you. Christmas, Easter, Ascension Day, Pentecost. That's what I think anyway. So, you know, the Holy Spirit, he's poured out. He's poured out because of the ascension of Jesus. And he's poured out upon us for the sake of other people. He's within us for our sake. It's our salvation. It's our life in him. But he is upon us so that streams of life and fruitfulness and power and kingdom and love and security and healing can flow from us to others. So, when we look at Psalm 27 from a New Testament perspective, we can see that what David longed for is actually ours. He abides, God abides in us first, therefore we abide in him. The emphasis isn't on, oh, am I abiding well, and how do I abide better, and ooh, am I reading enough, or should I listen to quiet worship to help me abide? He said the emphasis is, he abides in you first. And if you spend a couple of days just thinking about the wonder of that, 
it's very transforming. You're renewed by the transform, you are transformed by the renewing of your mind. Because you think, God abides in me first. Therefore I abide in him, sort of second, the second thing. And he would like us as a family to have that emphasis in our thinking. Because it changes everything. It changes everything. So we look back at Psalm 27. And we can speak it out as a New Testament believer. And we say, the Lord is my light. Jesus said, I'm the light of the world. You're the light of the world. The spiritual powers and principalities, when we are walking around, we have such light in us, we can't see it. We can't, we can't see it. Well, if you can see it, that's wonderful. I just bless that. I'd like to. But I don't. But I know, I know there is such light in a believer, it blinds the powers of darkness. It's the righteousness of Jesus. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. The Lord is my light. He is my salvation. Jesus ascended, glorified, interceding for us at the right hand of the Father. He's done it. We can say he is. He is my salvation. It rests in him alone. And the Lord is the stronghold of my life. As we, when we're a new believer, as we read the word of God, we grow just like a baby. I mean, babies are born and they just like eat, grow, eat, grow, eat, grow. You know, they eat, that's how they grow. And the food becomes part of them. Well, it's the same as a new believer. We eat the word, we read the word, it becomes part of us. And we grow. The Holy Spirit is in us. We say, Holy Spirit, I'm going to read this bit now. What do you have to say to me? Is there anything? Is there a promise today? We read it with him. Why? Because God abides in us. So wherever we go, he goes. Wherever we go, the kingdom goes. It's a completely different way. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind in how we think. And I think that as we eat the word, as we become more, we meet these dwelling places, these promises from God, we strengthen. God's life in us becomes this stronghold. It becomes a strong place. And I remember a, friend of, a dear friend of some of ours, she lives in London now, I phoned her up and asked her to pray about something with me. And she said, Julie, she said, I pray that not one brick in the stronghold of Jesus in your life will be dislodged by what you're going through. It was such a powerful picture. Not one brick of this strong tower that God has built around and within would be dislodged because he is a stronghold. He is that strong place and he has got a stronghold on us as an aside. But verse 4, one thing I ask, one thing I seek that I may dwell in God's presence all my life to seek him in his temple. You see, we're the temple. Paul wrote to the Corinthians, don't you know? You are the temple of the Holy Spirit. Don't you know? And that temple of the Holy Spirit, which we are, was built by the man of peace, the prince of peace. Because of the prince of peace, the temple, which is a life laid down, a life which has the Spirit of God in, we are temples. Just as Solomon, the man of peace, made the temple in the Old Testament, 
Jesus, the Prince of Peace, has enabled us to be that temple. In the day of trouble, he'll keep me safe. He'll hide me in the shelter of his tabernacle and he'll set me high on a rock. So when we retreat to be with God, to hide away in him in our hearts in that secret place, we hide away with him and he hosts us in that place of great protection, of great provision, of great understanding and great affirmation. But we don't have to go very far to find him because he's in here. How he comes upon us individually, how he comes upon us corporately, it is different. But when we're on our own with God, it's this life in us that bubbles up. And it's this concept, that this truth that he abides in me, so he's right here. His love chased after me through most of 1990. He chased after me. He chased. I had it. somebody said this, somebody said that. I thought maybe there is God, maybe he does exist. He was chasing after me, but when I said... Yes, I give my life and heart to you. His love found me and enveloped me. And he became, he became in me. That's the truth. And we begin a different life. And I think that um, he doesn't... He, he, he abides in us first. We are inseparable. Now, there are consequences, obviously, to that. You can be watching a TV program you used to watch, and you're watching it now, and you think... Oh, I feel a bit uncomfortable. That's the Holy Spirit within you. He's saying, I'm not so pleased with that. That's not so good for you. And from my experience, it's best to agree with him and to quickly speak with him and say, have I grieved you there? Have I grieved you? You see, the bond of unity, the bond of peace between me and the Holy Spirit, I want to always be there, just as I do with Gordon. I want to preserve that unity of the bond of peace. So when I feel uncomfortable... I need to go aside and say, Lord, I'm really sorry that I watched that. I'm really sorry. And we find out what might be we speak about somebody, and we suddenly realize every time I speak about that person, I say this, I say that. And you feel uncomfortable where you didn't before. That's the Holy Spirit. And we come to him and say, I'm, I'm really sorry I've grieved you there. Forgive me for that. I want to turn from that. I want to live differently. And lo and behold, you have been pruned. It has just happened from the life of God within you, just naturally. No bush ever demands a pruning, not in our garden anyway. It doesn't happen like that. We are New Testament believers. It's God within where this witness comes from. And we go with that. As Jenny said, we yield to that. And the fruitfulness of this life in God means as we have this peace within, as we read who he says we are, the Holy Spirit makes it a reality. And we find that we are so anchored in who he says that we are because the Holy Spirit makes the word a reality on us. And God says, I've loved you with an everlasting love. You're not an orphan. You're a son. You are a daughter. The Holy Spirit makes that a reality. And he is inseparable from us. Nothing can separate him and us. Nothing can. And we live from that point And we sort the bits out. And sometimes we need a friend to help us. Sometimes we need someone to bring, um, just to be alongside and help us with the things that the Holy Spirit shows us. But it's different for everybody. None of us have the same journey. None of us are the same. But God's the same. 
And he loves the individual nature of the journey with each one. It matters to him. So what, somebody can watch someone else? It's not good for them to watch. This is how he works. But it's this life within that enables that. So, to abide in him, (laughs) abiding in God, is from the first place of God is abiding in me. So I can find him. I can talk to him. I can be with him. I can respond to him. We have all the wonderful things that David longed for is ours. And yes, we grow in consciousness. As we mature in the faith, we grow in our consciousness of him. We want to always be conscious of those movings and promptings. That's what we're aiming for. We're on the way. But our heart begins with the fact that he abides in us first. Therefore, we abide in him and we can find him and we can rest in him. And we can use some of David's pictures to help us when we're uh, growing and maturing through the through the Christian life and when the Holy Spirit when he comes upon us he empowers us he enables us to accomplish <coughs> accomplish something which can have taken us ages before we're just not getting anywhere our best efforts suddenly when the Holy Spirit is imparted to us and released into us suddenly there's a great change Something is ignited within us and we feel and sense and know that God has come and God has been imparted into me and that which was so difficult suddenly becomes easier. It might be something we're struggling with, it might be reading the word, it might be an affirmation of who we are in him. And we say a greater yes to who he is and a greater yes to who we are in him. And I felt this evening when I asked him, what do you want to do on the 17th of March? He said, I want to affirm in everybody. I want to affirm in us as individuals. And then as family, he can do more. He wants to affirm that he dwells in us. He wants to affirm that he dwells in you. He wants to affirm that he dwells in me. That nothing can separate me from his love. Nothing can separate you from his love. And this, an empowerment comes from him. And what we want to do is we are going to um, just have a time of ministry and with intentional impartation. Impartation is one of the six foundations of the faith. I'll have a look in Hebrews 6 about it. Baptism, repentance, laying on of hands. It's intentional. And it's saying, Holy Spirit, throw my hand, release into this person whatever you know that they need. The Holy Spirit is pictured as oil in Exodus, and the oil had this composition, loads of different things in it. And um, that was a picture of the Holy Spirit. And so when we would lay hands on someone with the intention of the Holy Spirit being imparted into them, it's as though one of those composite substances is released. It's not necessarily generic. It's, it's of him. Sometimes he shows us what it is. But the impartation is very, very important. That's how he sends streams in the desert and rivers in the wasteland. Dry hearts that feel like desert hearts, that nothing seems to grow in the kingdom and it's hard. God's solution also in streams in the desert. That's an impartation of the Holy Spirit. He says rivers in the wasteland. That's like hearts where things began to grow, but 
stuff got in the way and the plants just seem to sort of look a bit grotty and things have died away and it's become a wasteland. He says, my solution is, I'm going to send rivers in the wasteland and he imparts of his spirit in and suddenly we have new life and we are ignited in a fresh way to love him and to be the people that he wants us to be but we're also ignited in our hearts to be so affirmed by how much he loves us and he is for us because the Holy Spirit does that. He says, you're not going to be an orphan, you're going to be with me. You are loved by the Father. So what we want to do is, I'm just going to pray to wrap things up. I might ask if people want to stand as I pray. And then I think the band are going to come and play. And um, as we worship, we're just going to have a time of ministry, a time of impartation. So if you want to come, come to be affirmed that he's abiding in you. As you receive that impartation, you'll know that something's changed. A dry heart impartation of the living water an anointing to do that which you long to do in the city and be in the city through the intentional laying on of hands and release of the spirit into a heart that's what he wants to do so that's okay so if you want to stand if you don't want to stand that's fine we just can receive together and then maybe Joel you could come and that would be really great and lead us And then we'll just come forward, Tim and Paul and Sue and others are here just to lay on of hands and just to give that impartation. But his presence is, he's so gently here and um, he wants to affirm that he abides in you, he abides in us. So Father, we thank you. Father, as Tim prayed at the end of last Sunday, his last words were, it's not by might, it's not by power. It's by your spirit. So Lord, we tag onto that this week. And we say again, Lord, it is not by our might. It's not by human power. It is by your spirit upon us and within us that we will see the kingdom released in our city. So dear Holy Spirit, our wonderful friend, the one who abides within us, we give you free reign. We ask that you would come And as we impart you to one another, we would find a deep ignition within us where we are aware of you more and more. We have a peace that you abide in us. We know that we are loved by the Father. And we know that we know that we know that we are inseparable from your love. We just welcome you among us, Lord. And we thank you that this family matters to you. This family means so much to you, Lord, because you love family. It matters to you. You want it to be a family of no fear. Fear of man has no place in our family, Lord. Fear of failure has no place in our family. But love has every place in our family. Lord, we ask for that release of your spirit as a river in the desert the release of your spirit streams in the wasteland because St. Matt's is to be a well-watered garden, a spring whose waters never fail, a spring of salvation, the spring of love, the spring of empowerment, the spring of anointing. That's your heart for us, Father, and we say yes to that and we invite you to make it a reality. 
we invite you to make it a reality. In Jesus' name, amen.